you're listening to Innovators Collab, the fun startup podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Eric Melcher. And on Innovators Collab, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the most innovative minds in the startup scene here in Europe. My goal is to turn my guest's wisdom into actionable advice that you can use to grow your business. No matter your industry, I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. And at the end of each interview, we have a little fun where my guests reveal fun and interesting facts about themselves, the stuff you won't see on their LinkedIn profile. If you're new to the show, I'm a marketing geek and head of partnerships at tech startup Bonjour. I'm also an American expat living in Romania. If you're curious about other European startups and what they're doing to scale, gain customers, or things that they do to differentiate themselves, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Innovators Can Laugh podcast. Also, you can play the Innovators Can Laugh game and have an opportunity to compete against other startup folks on Twitter. Just look for the hashtag Innovators Can Laugh. Hey, ICO fans, today we're talking about finding your first early adopters and the common mistakes startups make when starting out with Avi Negrian, founder of Socialbee, which is a platform that helps SMBs get more customers through social media and is used by more than 25,000 companies and makes it very easy to plan your social media content across Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and other social platforms. Avi is also a startup advisor and mentor at the Founder Institute out of Frankfurt and Romania. This is a jam-packed episode as Avi and I discuss how he pivoted from an earlier startup he created, the methods and tactics he used to find his early adopters, what he believes is a major mistake founders make, and the tools he uses to streamline efficiency in his operation since he is a remote CEO. We also discuss fun stuff like when he had his first kiss. If you're wanting to get ideas on how to find your first customers and get some ideas on how to sell, then scale your product, this episode is for you. And if you want to listen to this on YouTube, you can find my channel, Innovators Can Laugh, and check out episode 42. Let's dive in. All right, Avi, I want to start with Nugget. Uh, this is another app that you help co-found, and Nugget was like Tinder for quotes for books. What was the idea behind creating Nugget? Yeah, sure. So basically, we started Nugget maybe six and a half, seven years ago, something like that. And I was always, and I, I still read a lot of business books. And it's hard to remember everything that you read in these business books. Um, and especially back then, <clears throat> there was this trend with sharing quotes on on uh, the internet. So basically, I, I liked a lot uh, to 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 take out quotes from these business books I, that I was reading. But I wanted a way to be able to uh, remember them and to revisit them, and maybe even to discover books by discovering such type of uh, quotes. So uh, we actually started with a very simple MVP that was just me summarizing a book and taking the quotes uh, out from the book. And then uh, putting them in in a spreadsheet, and then putting creating a nice PowerPoint, putting them on SlideShare.net, and we were featured actually by SlideShare. We got a few uh, people who subscribed to download like more of these nuggets, and then we decided, okay, maybe we're onto something, and we should uh, turn this into a, an app. 
but as we found out later, it was a vitamin and not a painkiller. So even though we managed to get users to download it and to use it, it was quite hard to uh, to monetize and to keep people coming back uh, over and over. Uh, so it would have been quite hard to turn from uh, just like a startup into an actual. Uh... But luckily, in uh, in working on Nugget, we found out uh, some techniques that work for us to grow on social media, and we were building internally some tools to help us with that. And at one point, uh, somebody uh, from our audience kept asking us like how we were doing that, and we decided that we should maybe try to spin that off, uh, spin that out, and then we. That, that, that's how uh, we, we got to build Social Beat. And uh, once we started seeing that people are willing to pay for Social Beat, uh, which they were not for Nugget, we said, okay, let's just double down on Social Beat. And uh, we stopped <laughs> working on Nugget since and just focused on Social Beat uh, almost like six years ago now. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into Social Beat for a second. But you mentioned something about the MVP in SlideShare. So... Did you know right away that SlideShare was a good channel to start promoting Nugget first? Or were you considering other channels to, to try to promote it? I think SlideShare is not as popular nowadays as it used to be. But uh, at least back then, it was quite popular. People were sharing SlideShares left and right. And I've, I don't know if, we, if it was the best channel, but it was uh, the channel that fit our MVP approach. Uh, because it was relatively easy to just come up with that okay. PowerPoint, to put it up there. And then basically we also uh, included the um, slide share embed onto a page where if people wanted to subscribe to give us their email address, they would have gotten much more nuggets from, uh, it was Peter Thiel's Zero to One, uh, that, that book that we first nuggetized. And we tried to promote it in various uh, entrepreneurship groups and uh, business book groups and uh, all sorts of things. So probably this is how we got the first views also on those SlideShare uh, deck. But then we were lucky that the SlideShare editorial mm -hmm. team said, okay, this is something that we want to promote. And then it was on their homepage for a few hours, which really brought us uh, a lot more views. And then it validated to some extent our idea. Okay. And in terms of creating the app, is this something that you created? Did you do all the coding and the developing behind it? Or did you work with the team to do this? Actually, actually, uh, with Nugget, we were a team of four that were all co-founders. And between the four of us, we had experience in uh, coding the backend, the mobile apps, the design part, and then uh, marketing and, and business uh, as well. So it was all done by, by the team of co-founders. Okay. And before we get into Social B, if you could put one quote on a billboard, mm -hmm. on a big billboard, maybe in Times Square or something, what would that one quote be, Avi? <clears throat> I think it would be uh, like a, a take on Nike's Just Do It, and it would be Just Get Started. Because if we wouldn't have get, gotten started with uh, Nugget, which is basically failed. We managed to, to send the nugget to somebody who was still in the space, but from our point of view, uh, from what we wanted to do, uh, it, it was not a, a success. But if we would have not gotten on that uh, wrong road, let's say so, we would have not been able to, to pivot and to then uh, work on Social B. And that's why I think it's, it's much more important to really get started, even if the idea is not perfect. Because first of all, you might stumble into an idea that is much better. But even if you don't, you will learn so much that you will be better off uh, by having started and uh, having tried to do something. 
Okay. Let's talk about one of the things that you were learning uh, while you were trying to grow Nugget. And one of the things that you learned, you mentioned this earlier, is that you were gaining traction. You were building tools to help streamline your social media activity. And before before Social B was fully built, you started selling the product, uh, which we'll get into in a second. So I, Social B, I'm using it right now. One of the key benefits of Social B that I, is that it's easy to put your social profiles on autopilot, like set it and forget it. How did you first start using this for Nugget? And when did you discover that this would be valuable to brands? Mm -hmm. One of the main things that we did for Nugget, so we took uh, a lot of business books and we had uh, a team of freelancers that was actually reading them, going through those books and taking out these quotes and then creating also a summary. So all of this content was a lot of content and it was a lot of evergreen content, which means that uh, a good quote that you share today is probably going to be relevant a few months or even years from now. So because of that, we had a lot of content that we wanted to share, but we also wanted to reshare that content again and again. And we also wanted to uh, be able to promote all of the books that we were nuggetizing, how we were calling uh, the process. So basically, we, we came up together, uh, we come up with a system that was a very, very rudimentary alpha version of what Social Bee was which was actually uh, some Google Sheets with uh, very complex uh, Excel formulas, basically, uh, with Zapier integrations <laughs> and with us doing manual work. So each time we had a new customer in the early days, I would manually have to go in and create a duplicate of these Google Sheets for that customer and set it up for uh, them uh, and so on. And it was um, a way for us to create different categories for for. Uh, the type of content that we wanted or the customers wanted to share and to schedule them in such a way that they mix well together. So for example, if you want to share a, a promotional post, you can schedule a, the promotional category on Monday at two without saying, okay, I want this exact promotional post. And then you just need to make sure that those categories are filled with content. And the other benefit is that if you set your content to be evergreen, this means that we're going to post the items one by one until we get to the last one, and then we just jump to the first one again. Uh, our our software and our system evolved since then, and we give much more flexibility also to one-off content. But in the early days, it was all about evergreen content and about scheduling with categories in mind and with recycling the, the content that you wanted to share multiple times. Yeah, I love this feature. When I first got behind Social B, uh, this blew me away, sort of like the calendar and the different categories that you can use to schedule your posts, like promotional, evergreen, something that's fun, all these different categories. What's another feature that people see when they're looking at the platform for the first time and their eyes just get wide open? They get really excited about it and, and they think, oh, this can save me either a lot of time or this can help me grow my audience. What's a, another cool feature about the platform that, that customers like? So I would definitely say that the main functionality is around having these categories uh, because if you want to have a good mix of content across your social profiles, so between your promotional posts, your own blog posts, some curated content, some more fun content and so on. Uh, but if you're using a tool uh, like Hootsuite where you have the one queue, uh, where you have to keep adding things to your queue, you have to drag and drop things in such a way that they come in the right order that you want. While in Social B, you just say, okay, I want to have these categories come up in this order. You fill your categories and it's done. So this would be number one. And number two would be the, the fact that you can recycle the evergreen content. But then besides this, I think there are a couple other uh, functionalities that uh, our customers really like. 
One would be the RSS integration. So basically any WordPress website and most uh, blogs out there have a functionality which is called RSS. It's not something for uh, humans to use. It's for machines to talk between themselves. But basically RSS is a technology that lets what in, in this case, social be no when there's a new blog post that was published on somebody else's website. So you can connect this RSS feed to social B and we have some um, fairly advanced features that you can set in there. So for example, uh, because I'm a Tim Ferriss fan and I uh, listen to all of his podcasts and uh, all of his content, I have his RSS feed set up to social B and I have it set up. So it goes on my Twitter each time that he has a new uh, article uh, going out. And I'm also mentioning his Twitter account. So I got uh, retweeted by him a couple of times just because of this automation, uh, which works, uh, as you said, uh, just automatically set it and forget it. So this would be one major function. <laughs> and then the other part, which yeah. is uh, uh, also quite specific to us, is that besides the do-it-yourself uh, software that we offer, we also have uh, these concierge services which are basically productized marketing services that sit on top of our platform. And these are services that are being uh, delivered by a, a team of, uh, we call them bees, but they're actually real human beings uh, that are uh, creating uh, <laughs> social media posts or um, uh, blog uh, content or, um, or helping you grow your audience on Instagram or, or, or LinkedIn. So we have a few of these services that can be added on, uh, on top of the platform. How are you finding the uh, the first uh, the first adopters? Because it said here when I was doing some research, it said that you were actually selling the product before you actually had a you know a, a full version that's out in the market that could be out in the marketplace. So how are we approaching uh, your your early adopters? So looking back, I I backtracked into uh, a model of what we did, which I call sell service scale. So basically, you first have to sell the end results, then you service that customer, regardless of how you do it. And only once you did that, you, you start to scale uh, the product and the marketing and so on. So specifically how we did this is that, as I told you, uh, V1 was very duct tape solution, very hack together solution of Google Sheets and ZPN integrations and things like that. It was definitely not something that people could just like sign up on a, a page, put their credit card details in and just use it. But it was good enough for me right. to be able to go on one-on-one -on -one calls with early adopters, uh, people that we found via various uh, startup groups, via Product Hunt, via Beta List, uh, and so on. And for the first, I think, even couple of years, you could not sign up to Social Bee just on your own. You always had to go through a demo with, uh, with myself in the first couple of years. I think it was only myself doing these demos where... I would showcase uh, the app. I would tell you about how we could help. And then if it was a good fit, then we would uh, get get you on board and then uh, get you started and so on. And during those this, this couple of years, this solution, which was almost entirely outside of our code, code base at first, because it was on uh, Google Sheets and so on, we started building more and more of this functionality in Social Bee to the point where now, of course, all of our functionality is our own. We still integrate with Zapier so people can uh, push content uh, from Zapier to Social B uh, and so on. But basically, we managed to, to get this duct tape solution and one by one build the functionality in-house. And now, of course, people just sign up on the web page and go through our uh, regular onboarding process and they don't have to go to a call. Uh, we still offer this because 
this is one of the things that people like about us, uh, how approachable we are and how easily you can get an actual human being to talk to you even in a one-on-one call, but you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, the startup groups that you were, you mentioned Product Hub and the startup groups. What were some of those startup groups? Were they they're on Reddit? Where, where were you finding these groups on Facebook? I think then how we got the first, maybe even like 10-ish customers were actually because with Nugget, we had a very good uh, product hunt launch. So especially back then, product hunt really had um, a lot of say and it, it carried a lot of value and everybody wanted to launch a product hunt. And if you got into the top five uh, on product hunt, it, it really meant a lot of traffic and a lot of visibility. So because of that, we really planned and we worked a lot on our launch and we managed to get in the top five in a quite competitive day, I would say. So because of that, uh, I actually wrote a a big guide. I think it was like 30 pages long of everything that we did to to manage to be so successful on Product Hunt. And because I knew that guide was more valuable than my audience would have been because we had a very small... I reached out to Founder Magazine, uh, one of the uh, startup entrepreneurship uh, magazines that had uh, that was quite popular, and we published it on their on their page. So it got a lot of visibility, and because I'm always about helping people, I also said like, look, if anybody wants to do a product launch and wants uh, uh, just a help or an idea and so on, just feel free to reach out to me. So there were quite a few people who reached out to me to uh, either like exchange ideas or for for me to help them in one way or another, and this is how we got actually the first customer as well. Um, somebody who reached out and we were chatting about Product Hunt. And then we also talked about what we were doing on, on social. And this is before we had anything, like we had to scramble to uh, to get their credit card details and for them to be able to pay us and so on. Uh, but all of this happened because we were putting out a lot of value without really trying to get something in return. But we did get uh, something in return eventually. And besides that, I think yeah. it was for us, it was mainly uh, about Facebook groups uh, that were centered around entrepreneurship. And then we did mm-hmm. do somewhat like growth hackish, uh, if I can call it that way, solution where uh, basically we were looking at all of the products that were new on BetaList uh, because BetaList is a website where people uh, can showcase their upcoming products. And we knew that if it's an upcoming product, they will need social media presence and they will need some of our techniques to grow their audience. And then we were reaching out to them in a very manual and um, and tailor-made way for everybody. So I was actually checking each of their website and then I was trying to pull uh, a, a few lines that really spoke to them. Uh, and then of course, we also used some tools to automate what we could, but there was a lot of manual work involved. And because it was founder to founder, I think it was easier to get people on a call and it was easier also to people to get on board with a solution, which was definitely not a good UX and definitely not a ready for prime time solution back then. But because it was other founders that were also probably early adopters and they also knew how hard it is to build something and to start something, it was an easier sell. Got you, got you. Oh, that's wonderful. How many customers are currently using the platform, Avi? And what is the forecasted revenue for uh, 2022? We we basically have a, a two different groups of, of customers. So we have one, we we, meant, we did um, a few of AppSumo launches. I don't know if you're familiar with AppSumo, but it's a marketplace to, to basically yep. buy lifetime deals. And uh, us being mostly a bootstrap startup, this is how we managed to 
to fund our growth by by running uh, such deals. So we got uh, quite a few thousand uh, people who uh, are using us uh, because they found us on AppSumo and they uh, they become customers that way. We we haven't done and we won't we're not planning to do any lifetime deals for uh, for social B hopefully here uh, never but never say never so now uh, basically our focus is on monthly and 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 yearly uh, customers we have about a couple thousand of of uh, such customers and this year we're we're not sharing like full revenue numbers but this year we're hoping to to grow uh, by at least fifty percent. In the first years, we were always like doubling year to year, but it's much easier to double when you're starting from nothing uh, than it is once you uh, get to a, <laughs> a, to a higher level. Uh, so this year we're aiming for yeah. uh, for a 50% growth. Okay. And Avi, you also serve as a mentor at the Founder Institute in Frankfurt and Bucharest for other startups. So why Frankfurt? <clears throat> I'm actually... Because you're from Cluj, Romania, so... yeah. Uh, so I'm actually in Frankfurt because uh, my wife, she's a professor at the university here. So I just follow her uh, all over the world. Uh, I've been also uh, together with her in Singapore. When we were actually starting out uh, with Social B, we were in Singapore. So because of the time zone and because most of our customers are in the States, I was like taking calls at 2 a.m. Uh, and uh, but that's that's what we had to do to to survive, basically. But now we're here also yeah. because of her work. Uh, and because of how we have our company set up, we, we can work remotely, which came in handy when uh, Corona hit because it wasn't hard for us to just like shut down the office and everybody uh, started working from home. Um, but I'm, yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm here because of her. And this is how I got involved with the Frankfurt uh, startup uh, ecosystem uh, and how I become a, became a mentor at uh, Founder Institute in Frankfurt. Uh, and in, I was first a uh, mentor in Bucharest, but now I'm in both locations, basically. Okay. And how, how many people are on the team at Social B? We have a core team of about 25 people. And then we have a freelancing team for the concierge services of probably around 60 people now. Okay, Avi, you're the remote, remote CEO of an in-person team, and you're not in that city here. So how do you do it? How do you keep... You know, the team motivated, functioning, growing the company. Any tips that you can share with other people, other startup founders that have remote teams in a, in a different city? What would you suggest? For me, I think the number one is the fact that I'm not alone in this. I have uh, two co-founders uh, that are that are helping both on the technical side and then also on the operational side. So we can share uh, the the responsibilities and uh, everything that we have to do, so that makes things uh, much more easier. But as I said, because of because I was always remote, even when the team was everybody in the same place, it's just part of our DNA. We we worked on Slack from day one, and at one point before Corona, we we got to um, I don't know like forty people uh, because back then like also the freelancers were part of the core team, uh, the concierge part. And it was funny, like you would go into our office that had like 40 people and it was uh, dead silence. But from time to time, you would hear somebody <laughs> just just laughing. And then it was just because somebody shared a fun meme on, on Slack. So uh, uh, it's it's just how we set it up from the beginning with, with Slack and with processes and procedures that are written down um, and so on. So because of this, it was not that hard for us. Uh, and it's part of how we do things. 
Uh, we do have also, uh, depending on the teams and on the things that you're working on, we have various uh, either daily stand-ups or weekly calls and things like that. And even though we now have our office back uh, in, in Cluj, most people uh, decided that they don't like to commute and they would rather work from home, even when that home is maybe just like 30 minutes away uh, from the office. But people do go to the office from time to time. We Also, when I'm there, I always try to make sure that we, we meet uh, at the office so we have also some, some real face time from time to time, which I think is very important. And I feel that all of these working from home and working alone things, these are things that uh, might might uh, end up costing us if we don't really take care of them and we don't take care of, also of the of the human side of things and uh, people do want to like with social animals we want to interact and for some of course we also have our friends and we we meet people and so on but work the work life is a major part of our life so i think it's also important to have this type of socializing now luckily we have our uh, random channel on slack where memes uh, are, are shared and jokes are made and so on but i still think the the physical in-person thing is is quite quite vital yeah no that's that's one of the reasons why i come to a co-share space at least at least two days out of the week and even though they're, they're not my colleagues, it's just nice. Somebody knows your name. You say good morning. Maybe you go have lunch with them. That social engagement in person is, is vital. Even though I like working from home, I still need to just be around people, you know, at least one or two days out of the week. And uh, I'm that person in the kosher space where it's all quiet. And then you hear somebody laugh out loud. I think that's me <laughs> at times reading a joke from somebody else or, or something like that. Since you're a mentor and you've mentored a lot of startups, uh, just looking at your LinkedIn profile and, and knowing that you're part of this founding founder institute, what are some of the top mistakes that you come across in your experience working with uh, with other tech startups? I think the number one mistake is, and especially with, with startups in, in Romania, so Romania is quite a tech-focused and engineering-focused country when it comes to the software development. So we have a lot of very good talent when it comes to engineering, but we're just like starting to build that marketing and business muscle. So especially uh, when it comes to, to Romania, but e even with other startups, it's so much easier to start building and then think about how you're going to get customers or if customers even care what you're building later on. And actually, as I see this, is a way to procrastinate and to hide behind code. Because when you're building, you know what you're doing, you're building code and code doesn't reject you. While if you're going to uh, build, put this out uh, in the market, you might find out that that target audience that you are aiming for will reject your initial idea at least. But that's crucial. You need to uh, put it out there as soon as possible to see if your idea has legs or if you need to change anything. Or basically, maybe it's something that you you wouldn't even be able to turn into a business. So because of this, I really try to, to talk as much as possible about this self-service scale model because especially in the B2B world, but also in the B2C world, there are always, you can find creative ways to mimic what you're trying to do and to really see if you can really solve the problem that you are trying to solve by using off-the-shelf tools or by doing things by hand uh, or or by like hacking together things. As But it's it's so hard because people really want to build their thing and they, they have their wishes and, and uh, ideals and so on. So it, it's hard to get them to understand that 
okay, let's let's try to talk with the customers. I'm trying to do that as much as possible, but I think it's it's that uh, that saying where even if somebody tells you like, look, don't put your hand on the stove because it might burn you. Sometimes you have to put your hand on the stove to to really know for yourself that it will burn you. So next time you will know not to uh, put your hand on it. So. What you just said, code doesn't reject you. I love that because that applies to so many different things, not necessarily just code, but I'll give you an example. We just did here at Bonjour, we just did an integration with Pipedrive and really excited for the team behind it. I'm excited with a good collaboration with the team at Pipedrive. I'm happy to start marketing it. And I feel like there's a sense of accomplishment because it's finally live, right? But here's the, here's the reality. Until I start talking with the, the first users of the integration, I really don't know if it's good. You know, I really don't know where the friction is, whether or not they're having, you know, an enjoyable experience. And it's something I need to remind myself, like, hey, that's only part of the work. You know, the other half of the work and really the important work is talking to the customers, just like you mentioned. So I love that there. You also wrote a guide on some of the best tools that you recommend for launching, you know, uh, uh, particularly a tech product, a SaaS product. Uh, you care to share some of those tools with the audience that have really helped you in growing Social B? Yeah, so for us uh, right now, my, of course, my number one favorite tool is Social B. Uh, I might be a bit biased here, though. And then uh, we're actually also working on a brand new suite of tools and a brand new brand, uh, which is called Ace. And of course, I, I like that as well. But then outside of our own space, uh, definitely uh, Zapier is the tool that I like the most. And it's exactly because of this. It helps you without being a developer to connect various uh, systems that would normally not talk uh, to each other directly. And with a bit of knowledge and understanding of how Zapier works, you can really build a lot, a lot of uh, functionality. And first of all, it, you can even like build MVPs by using like one of these more low code or no code tools like Airtable and things like that uh, who, together with Zapier. But then also bes besides that, we built a lot of operational efficiency in our company by using Zapier. So for example, in our case, each time when we have a new uh, customer on the concierge part. So this is where an actual human being will have to do maybe social media post or some specific type of uh, marketing content for that customer. Uh, we have a type form that's integrated in Social B. And once that uh, happens with Zapier, we connect it to our Trello board to create like internal tasks for somebody to take over that customer. We send a message to some various Slack channels to uh, let us know about this. Uh, we do follow-ups in a couple of weeks to make sure that we did proper onboarding and so on. So basically, you can really build a very robust um, workflow by just using off-the-shelf tools and most of the times even free tools like uh, we are a relatively uh, large uh, Zapier customer, but when we started, when we just had a few customers, uh, we didn't need uh, the paid version. You can really get away with the free version of most of these tools. So if I would have to just pick one tool, I would definitely say Zapier and then try to integrate it in your workflow as much as possible. Yeah, no, Zapier is fantastic. Uh, I use it too. There's over, I think, a thousand different tools that you can use Zapier to integrate with Bonjuro. Before we go, I'd like to ask uh, each of my guests a few couple of fun questions, just so the audience can get to know your personality a little bit, Avi. The first question I have for you is, what did you consider was rich when you were a kid? So when I was a kid, 
I thought other kids who got to go on vacation outside the state of Texas, I thought those kids were rich, right? So, and and you, when you were a kid, what did you think was rich? I remember a time when pagers become became a thing in Romania, and I was quite young, uh, but you could already see a few people with pagers. So this was before the cell phone uh, period, and. I know that felt so cool. And so like, you've made it once you had the pager. So uh, I would go with the pager. <laughs> I can picture my son when he gets of age, he's only four now, but asking me when he's a teenager, you carried around this thing that just gave you the phone number. You couldn't talk into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. The questions that I'm going to get in the comments from my kid when he, when he grows up. Yeah. Okay. Second question for you is, uh, well, wait a minute. Did you carry a pager before the cell phone, before you got your cell phone? I did not. Uh, I, <laughs> I did have a cell phone relatively early uh, because I just also found that so cool. I didn't, didn't use it that much because it was quite expensive too, especially to do an outbound call. But as soon as I was able to get a secondhand uh, cell phone, which also for your kid, he, he would probably not understand that they were like brick-sized phones. It wasn't like these... Oh, yeah. uh, cool sleep phones that we have today, but I did not get to have a pager. I, I uh, jumped over that that stage. Yeah. My my first cell phone used to pull out the antenna. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, second question for you, Avi, is uh, what age did you have your first kiss? Oh, I think so. I was in probably ninth grade, which means, I don't know what that means, like 13 ish something like that okay okay was it a good kiss do you remember our first kisses are not that good so you can you be yeah, honest <laughs> probably probably it felt felt good by uh by then i had no uh, comparison so yeah <laughs> avi thanks so much for being on innovators can laugh where can people learn more about you uh, they can just uh, find me on on all the socials on linkedin on twitter or just Ovi at socialb.io. I'm happy to to help other entrepreneurs uh, as much as possible. So feel free to reach out. Just Ovi at socialb.io or Ovi Negrian on LinkedIn. All right, Ovi. Pleasure chatting with you. La revedere. La revedere. What a great conversation with Avi. There's so many nuggets here, pun intended, that you can benefit from as Avi is a pro when it comes to finding early adopters and customers for your product. My favorite takeaways here are be creative when it comes to getting your product out in the marketplace. For example, Avi didn't just, just, didn't just list Socialbee on Product Hunt. He wrote a 30-page guide on everything they did and offered to help other startup founders if they had any questions. By not asking for anything in return, this helped him get Socialbee into the hands of new users. Another thing Avi talked about was that code doesn't reject you meaning it's so easy to hide behind the code. But what you really should be doing is talking to customers and getting feedback, which is crucial if you want to grow. I've included links from this show on the ICL website and newsletter. It's number 42. If you forgot and if you enjoy this topic, feel free to give us a review and tell others about it. As always, thanks for listening. Keep hustling out there. This is Eric signing off. 
listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if you could give us a review and star rating. Also, don't forget to sign up for the ICO newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com where you can get the bio and details of each guest. Thanks.